0: Welcome to our public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Ed Drewitt, Learning Officer for the Bristol Dinosaur Project at the University of Bristol, reveals the other side to peregrines, not only as majestic aerial hunters, but also as opportunist falcons living often nomadic lives. Good evening, everybody. Can you all hear me Okay. Fantastic. Right. Well, it's a pleasure to be here this evening. I've gone from one contrast to another. I was in Nags Head RSPB Reserve in the Forest of Dean this morning, um, showing MSC students how to do bird surveys. So it's... uh, contrast to come here and a pleasure uh, to be able to talk about peregrine falcons. So this evening really I want to, as the introduction said there really, go through um, talking about Bath's very own peregrine fun, uh, hunters. Um, they're one of our fastest birds of prey in the world and uh, also just give a bigger picture as well of what's going on with peregrines um, across Britain and also Europe as well. So who'd have thought really that this fluffy crying chick here would then turn into a remarkable hunter like this. And this photograph here isn't of a bird from captivity. This is actually a wild urban peregrine in Holland. And this is a bird that's been photographed uh, on an industrial tower by Ronald down here, who's been able to get very, very close to this bird indeed. And What's remarkable with peregrines is the fact that we've had this transformation, really, going from a bird that was incredibly rare during the 1970s and 80s due to persecution and due to declines as a result of pesticide poisoning, which uh, occurred throughout the sort of 60s and 70s, to a bird now which is very much found amongst our lives in our urban areas, including Bath and Bristol and many of our big towns and cities. This, for example, is in Cheltenham. Who'd have thought 20 years ago that you'd be able to get fantastic views of these wild birds? I must add that these photographs of these nesting birds have all been taken under licence by the people that have taken them. Although they might be more common than they used to be, they're still very much a protected bird. And what's fantastic, though, seeing them up close like this, and actually going back to this image here, is it sums up these aerial hunters. The huge eyes for being, able to, for being able to find their prey. The hooked beak for being able to tear up their prey and eat it. Of course, they are a top predator. The beautiful yellow markings around their beak and their eye, which are no doubt uh, a sign of health as well. To have yellow skin like that, you need to be feeding well, you need to be healthy. And the black hood of the animal there, is thought to sort of help, almost a bit like sunglasses, reducing the glare, absorbing some of that sunlight um, when they're feeding, uh, perhaps during a very bright, sunny day. As their name suggests, they are a falcon. This is one of our bath birds. This is the female here, taken by Mark Fisher, who takes some fantastic images of the bath birds. They have these long, pointed wings, really, to give them fast flight. They can bend them back behind their body in a stoop dive, where, at least on two occasions now, the BBC have recorded them flying, even for a few milliseconds, at 200 miles an hour. And it's quite remarkable. You see all sorts of variations in this speed in the books, but the BBC have managed to record this on two occasions, where they've dropped birds from from hot air balloons. They've had special recorders on them to record just how... Not literally drop them, mind. (laughs) They have had to sort of fly as they're doing it. But just fantastic views of these beautiful birds, this barring underneath, you can see here, of these peregrines. And from above, they have these remarkable grey markings here, which keep them very well camouflaged against the habitats where they're found naturally, which are rocky crags and perhaps uh, rocky coastline places, and they're very well camouflaged. This is an immature bird that I photographed down on the Somerset Levels in the winter sunshine against the beautiful blue sky here. And as a young bird, they tend to be slightly duller looking. They've got streaks going down the body rather than stripes going across the body. But no doubt here you can just appreciate, hopefully, those long pointed wings. And they're a big falcon. They can vary sort of between a carrying crow size, perhaps up to a small buzzard, which many of you may be familiar with seeing flying or soaring over Bath. Not to be mistaken perhaps for a sparrowhawk which has these broad wings rather than being long and pointed sparrowhawks have these very broad almost like bulging wings which enable them to dash between trees and woodlands. Or kestrels which are much smaller, still with those pointed wings and a longish tail but these guys are smaller and also more likely to be seen in open country hovering, listening and looking for voles and small rodents. And buzzards which are big birds, but they don't have those long, pointed, thin wings. They have these broad wings instead, which allow them to soar. So peregrines, hopefully, are very distinctive. I mentioned about the pesticides that caused the decline of the peregrines in the 60s and the 70s, and what these pesticides did, DDT did, was it caused these eggs, like this is an adult egg, so this is one that didn't hatch, and we send these off for analysis so we can see how thick or thin the eggshells are. But basically, adult birds were laying eggs like this, and they were just crushing under the weight of the adult birds. And so not only were adult peregrines dying due to toxication, there was these pesticides were killing the birds, but also they were laying eggs that weren't able to withhold the, the weight of the bird incubating them. Fortunately, though, most peregrines are now laying very healthy, thick-shelled eggs, like this one in Cheltenham. And peregrines are doing very well indeed, and are very much now breeding across most English counties. That was DDT, sadly still used across the world, but banned in Britain and Europe. So let's start off, for example, in Bristol to begin with first of all. Here we've got the Avon Gourd, the suspension bridge that may be familiar. And Bristol, like Bath, is a very green city. Once you get up high, like on a hot air balloon, as from here, it's a very green place. You've got lots of birds moving through, which are ideal food for prey, such as peregrines. This is one at Plymbridge Woods, down at Plymouth. And this is a big female peregrine falcon. They're much bigger than the males. So, as peregrine falcons started to increase in numbers during the 1980s and the early 1990s, they started to come back to familiar rural haunts, such as this one here near Plymouth. And they very much use other bird nests, like this raven's nest and what have you, to actually lay their eggs in. This is a male, smaller than the female, but two, about two-thirds the size, um, smaller headed, slightly sort of cuter looking and what have you. Um, and if you see them side by side, you can see the big differences. So peregrines started to breed properly again during the 80s and the early 90s. Chicks like these young birds here. And these are five chicks here in the Avon Gorge. Now, If anybody knows anything about peregrines in in more detail, you'll know that peregrines normally lay between one and four eggs, not five usually. And yet, in the Avon Gorge, the pair have had five chicks now in 2008, 2010, and 2011. Quite remarkable, and uh, she's what we call a (laughs) five-egger. She's obviously genetically sort of predisposed really to lay five eggs, but quite remarkable seeing five of them lined up like that. But as peregrines have been increasing they've started to move into our towns and cities. These urban jungles are fantastic places for peregrines. There's plenty of food for them in terms of birds, but also these buildings you can see here are the equivalent of cliffs and sort of sea cliffs and cracks and things like that. And of course many of them particularly in Bath are made out of exactly the same material, that sort of limestone, that beautiful Bath stone. Which, of course, a lot of these quarries that peregrines use are also made out of. And in Bath, sorry, in Bristol, for example, they use this very tall tower here by Cabot Circus, Castlemead Tower. And so, if you're ever in the middle of Bath, Bristol, for example, you might well spot them flying around or see them perched on top of this tower. But let's come back to Bath, shall we? I came to Bristol originally in 1998 as a student, and I came from Surrey, where peregrines were very rare. We didn't see them apart from perhaps on estuaries around the south coast. So when I came to Bristol and realised that peregrines were in this area, I was very excited, for two reasons, one, to see this fantastic rare bird of prey, but also, because ever since I've been probably about six or seven, I've always been interested in collecting feathers and skulls as a naturalist. So it's very exciting to find the peregrines were eating all sorts of interesting birds. Um, and there was the opportunity to collect feathers and skulls of things that I didn't have. So it was very exciting as a, as a, a sort of late teenager to be able to do that. So there were sort of two reasons to it. Uh, and John Tully, a naturalist called John Tully from Bristol, um, first introduced me to peregrines, and I very much took over his work of looking at what they were eating. So I got introduced to the peregrine birds, this is the female in Bath, in uh, kind of 99, 2000, when they weren't quite breeding then. Uh, There was just one or two birds that were in Bath, they seemed to be there, usually sort of between July and April, but then they were disappearing, they weren't staying around during the summer. So it wasn't until 2006 or 7 that the Hawk and Owl Trust in Bath uh, introduced a nest box, and the peregrines didn't take to it immediately, uh, but then in 2007 they nested, and they've been nesting ever since, which has been fantastic. So where are they nesting? Well, they're on St John's Church, which is the, which is the tall spired church very close to the police station, just up from Bath Spa Station. And they're often to be seen perched, like this one here, like the female here, on perhaps one of the pinnacles, um, often on the sides that are actually facing the police station or perhaps facing towards Bath Abbey. But just to illustrate some of the other places really in the Bath sort of stone, so this for example is a female that was using um, Stapleton Church just off the M32 in Bristol. But it just illustrates really the fact that to these birds, this Bath stone being used on these churches is just home from home really using a natural sort of quarry. And actually, a juvenile bird like this one in Exeter, look how well camouflaged it is against this rock. There's a mixture of kind of limestone and sandstone, pennant sandstone used in this particular church. But you can see from a distance how well camouflaged it is. And you might be thinking, well, why does a peregrine need to be camouflaged? It's a predator. It's the one that's actually catching birds that need to be camouflaged. What you have to remember, actually, is if you go back thousands of years ago, and actually if you go over to Europe, peregrines are still eaten by goshawks and eagle owls and other birds of prey. So they are still um, predated, as well as being a predator, in many parts of the world. But in many urban areas, you do get this pattern of peregrines perhaps starting off at a site, as I say, throughout the winter and then disappearing And they could be birds from abroad, but it may just be sometimes they need a little helping hand. And they need perhaps a nest platform or a nest box like this one in Cheltenham put in place, which just means they can nest. And actually what the peregrines were doing here in Cheltenham was they were actually laying eggs just on the ground here. And the eggs were rolling into the guttering. And obviously they weren't able to be incubated. So by introducing a box like this with a little bit of gravel, it's ideal for the birds to lay their eggs and what have you. And peregrines are just beginning to lay eggs. I've just got news today that in Nottingham, uh, the peregrines have laid their first egg, and I think they are probably the first in the whole of the UK to lay eggs. Last year, Bath were the first. <laughs> and they, they, they laid their egg on about March the, first, uh, March the 10th last year, but Nottingham have beaten us to it this year and actually when you have these fantastic boxes like this it does present us with a great opportunity to watch these birds for us actually watching the birds and knowing how many eggs there is a little camera which connects to um, a chap called Colin Morris who's part of the Hawk and Owl Trust in Bath and we can monitor these birds but from afar if you're over on the rugby club side of, of Bath on the other side of the river you can watch them through telescopes and binoculars and get these sorts of views this was in 2009 when there was just one chick that year I think um, 2009 was a bit of a dodgy year for peregrines. Not many of them reared many chicks. So here's a nice photograph of the female feeding on a collared dove here by Mark Fisher. Beautiful photograph of her after, uh, after she's caught a collared dove. So they've been breeding now in Bath since about 2007. And I've been studying very much what they eat since 2000 and getting a really good idea of what they're feeding on. And more recently looking at what... Um, where they go and how long they live for so some, just like some nice images really of uh, the female here taken by Mark to illustrate to you just how they're using Bath really as a site so they use St John's Church as a place to breed they use it as a place to roost but there's also other churches and buildings that they use as well they use sometimes um, Bath Abbey and they also go to sort of outlying churches around the outskirts of, of Bath as well Um, to actually feed or to roost. And Bath, of course, is in this basin, but it's a fantastic kind of place for the peregrines to move out of the city to go and feed if they need to. And if any of you are over there watching, you might sometimes see the birds just circling higher and higher and moving out into the countryside to probably go and feed. Now, this one's great because it shows you the size difference. Here's the female up the top here, and here's her mate, AA tell you a bit more about him in a minute. He's one of the first young peregrines we ever ringed in the West Country. But hopefully you can appreciate, even though they're sort of a little bit apart there, the size difference. He's that much bigger. We think there's two reasons why peregrines are different sizes. One is perhaps t- so that they're in less competition for food with each other. So male peregrines would feed on a certain size bird and females on another. But it may also be that the, fee- the male peregrines are actually just choosing big females. Because obviously the bigger the female, the bigger the eggs, the bigger the chicks, the more likely it is that they're going to be survivals, uh, survivors and, and, and to actually fledge chicks and what have you. Even though they may require a little more food. <laughs> Someone's got to love them. <laughs> I'm going to come back to the prey a little bit later. I wanted to sort of tell the story more about the ringing to begin with, really. This is what the babies look like when they're about three weeks old. You may be familiar with bird ringing. It's the process of putting an identification ring on a bird under licence. You have to have a special licence for peregrines, but just generally to ring birds, you have to have a licence. And it's a way in which it's not interfering with the bird, but if the bird is recovered, alive or dead, we can find out how old it is, where it's travelled to. And advances in technology are allowing us to do other things as well. Some of you may be familiar with cuckoos. They're becoming quite rare in this country now, certainly in England. And the British Trust for Ornithology have been spending money, about £3,000 a bird, to track them all the way to their wintering grounds in Africa. And it's been incredibly successful. And this winter, five cuckoos that were satellite Transmitted uh, in Norfolk, have been traced all the way to the rainforests of the Congo, where gorillas and chimpanzees live. And the birds are now on their return journey back to England. They're currently—they've been through Cameroon and they're currently in um, sort of the Ivory Coast and um, just on the western horn of the west part of Africa at the moment. With peregrines. We don't do anything quite as extravagant as that in this country. But what we do do is we still put a metal ring on their leg. We have to put this metal ID ring on. But because we don't want to interfere with them, we don't really want to be catching them again, we put a little blue colour ring which has two letters on it. For example, AA or AB. And that means that from a distance we can then actually watch these birds without disturbing them. You can see that even at three weeks old, there's a size difference. The female on the right, the male on the left. (laughs) I think he's a bit worried he's going to be eaten by her. (laughs) So this is what they look like. This is AP. So this is the single chick. She's the one that you saw peering over the nest box a little bit earlier. This is her at three weeks old. And that's her at about six weeks old. What a transformation from that to that. So fantastic. You see a little little bit of fluff on the top of her head there. In her winter, in in her kind of juvenile plumage there. Again, keeps her very well camouflaged. Here's a sort of crying out to dad. I think dad's just trying to ignore her really. <laughs> He's looking up going, do you think I'm going to feed you? I don't think so. But anyway, there she is kind of flapping away and actually the flapping is very important for the peregrines. It's a way of strengthening their wing muscles and one of the biggest problems actually with urban peregrines is, is the fact that when they fledge, it's great having them, but when they fledge they get grounded quite often because their wing feathers aren't quite strong enough and that's when they can come into trouble with, uh, with people. So here's AP on the ground, but fortunately got whooshed back up into the air again. And Hamish isn't able to be here tonight, actually. He's down on the Salisbury Plain doing something different. He's hoping to be here. But Hamish has been photographing the peregrines um, for us, really, um, over the past year. And just some fantastic images of these young birds. This one's having a little nibble of his leg. I don't think he's nibbling the ring. I think he's just nibbling around the ring there. Um, It looks like he's got a little drumstick that he's sort of holding up there. And another fantastic image there by Hamish. And uh, I do all the ringing and the sort of the prey work, but I can't take the credit for some of the photographs. Some of them are mine, but I can't take the credit for these photographs. Hamish has done a fantastic job here. And I love the way this bird is just f- looking at you guys at the moment. And you can see those big eyes there, very, very much like the light eyes of a lion or, or another predator, really. And this one was CT. So just to illustrate to you the rings, so we can actually follow these birds, it's actually... Uh, very well. Let's go back to AA, though. So, when I showed you that photograph of those two little chickies, the left-hand one, that little boy, is him now. This is what he looks like now. And he was the first chick that we ringed um, about four or five years ago now. And he's still the breeding male at this site. But it's all a very interesting story with him, really. There he is, having a little uh, preen of his leg as well. They're rather like cleaning up their talons, because obviously they get covered in blood and all sorts of other things. It's a little bit of a soap opera, really, and some of you might be a little bit aghast, um, because when he was uh, one year old, he decided to stay at Bath with his mum and dad. And that's not particularly unusual. Quite often, um, a pair of peregrines will allow perhaps one of their daughters or sons to stay in the following year. But when the female's eggs were just about to hatch, um, I think in 2009... Uh, sorry, 2008 this was. Uh, dad disappeared. He just disappeared. So something happened to him. He probably died, or, or, or something, something tragic happened to him. So um, in his first year, he actually helped mum rear the chicks, uh, which, you know, which is quite remarkable in itself. And one of the reasons why these young birds might well do this is because, of course, if they've got a good mum and dad bringing in food, they can also get an extra, extra helping themselves, you know. But what was a little bit more alarming was that the following year, he was still there. And so was this female. Now, the female isn't tagged, but we had our suspicions that she was the same female. She was his mum. And she laid eggs with him there, you see. (laughs) So we actually thought, well, she's obviously got together with her son. So we actually sent... I collected the tail feathers of both birds when they moulted that summer. And we sent them off to Cardiff University to get some DNA tests. And the DNS did did indeed show that that they were together as a pair, that mum and son were together as a pair. Um, So a little bit of inbreeding going on. But I'm told that it's actually not as unusual as you might think in the bird of prey world. And indeed, it has been found to be happening in Sweden as well, for example... Um, But according to a friend of mine who's a chicken keeper, it's not actually genetically wise, it's not too bad when it's the the mum sort of mating with her son and what have you. But quite remarkable and just shows you the value actually of what's going on. But nice also to know that AA is still here in Bath and there's some nice photographs of him there. Just, And that's how we know and recently Hamish took a photograph of him and was able to confirm that this year um, AA is indeed still the breeding male. They've been seen mating. Now, we don't know this year if it's the same female. Peregrines will divorce. Females will have sort of three or four partners throughout their lifetime. So um, this, this was the DNA test we did about three or four years ago now. So we don't know if the female is the same bird still now. But it can also help in other ways. This was um, this was one of the chicks that that male helped to rear in that first year, AD. And she disappeared not long after fledging, and we thought that she died. And then suddenly, in October, November of that year, she suddenly reappeared. And we know that she obviously survived, and it was her because of her colour ring. So I'm not sure what happened to her. I have my suspicions that she got into trouble, perhaps came into captivity, perhaps someone tried to help her and then at a later date managed to release her and she still survived, I'm not sure. But just shows you the value sometimes of doing this. I mentioned to you about urban peregrines having problems with getting grounded and what it means, unfortunately, is that they get brought into the RSPCA. So I've been working with the RSPCA in West Hatch to make sure these birds get released again. So this was a big female in Cardiff. She was huge, absolutely huge, look at her there. This was a little male at uh, Filton Airfield. Here he is, back on the uh, river's and hangar where the Concorde was made. And this little male, a bit of a contrast to that big female from Cardiff, this was one of the five chicks in the Avon Gorge. He ended up grounded in Lee Woods, so we returned him to the wild, and here he was a year later with his ring on there, with a mate down at Blagdon Lake, not too far from here, probably about fifty miles south of here. So again just building up a little picture of what's going on. This was one of the chicks that we ringed one of the first chicks we ringed in the Avon Gorge in 2009. AX big girl she was because she was getting all the food and here she'd been handed by Rachel who's one of the zookeepers at Bristol Zoo and I'm just doing the measuring there on the left there she goes back into her little ledge. And the great thing about peregrines and actually this was particularly with Bath is we've been able to give them some fantastic publicity. And the Bath Birds have really featured a lot on national BBC television, as well as regional. So you might recognise Alison Vowles here, who's one of the BBC Points West presenters and also presents on BBC Radio Bristol. And she did a really nice piece for Points West. Here she's with my friend Adie, who helps me with the project. Last year we did a piece for Inside Out West. Here's my friend Mike Dilger doing a little piece with Adie and I as well. And they've also featured on Springwatch. Here's Martin Hughes Games, who some of you may know from BBC Springwatch and Autumnwatch. And they features us ringing the chicks in the Avon Gorge. So peregrines really capture the imagination of people, which is fantastic. And, it's, and I'm very proud to have been able to have brought the bar peregrines, really, to the wider general public for people to learn more about them. This is one of those young birds that featured fledging. There they are. The motley crew there on the edge of the cliff. And this was some of the Avon Gorge birds last year, just to illustrate to you. So, this is another example of how that ringing helps us. This is one of the young birds that we kind of ringed for Spring Watch. Well, not for Spring Watch, but Spring Watch covered it, BT. And uh, so, when was it ringed now? So, it was ringed in May 2010, and in April 2011, it was spotted up in the Malvern Hills near Worcester. So, it hadn't travelled too far, but far enough, and uh, slightly blurry, but you can just make out the number on the ring. Sadly, it was recovered in autumn last year, a few months later dead, below some power lines, and this was its leg here and what have you. But out of those five birds that fledged that year, it's the only bird we've heard from, and at least we've got its whole life cycle. We know now when it hatched, when it was ringed, and when it died as well. So we don't know when we're going to hear back from the other ones, but we shall wait and hear. Another place that I do hear from as well is Derby. And I just wanted to show you a couple of nice photographs from Derby, really. Again, just illustrating the fantastic images we can get. These ones by John Salloway here. And one of my favourites. This one gives you a real kind of peregrine's eye view on Derby Cathedral, looking down at the male, sat on his gargoyle, with people walking below. And it also is how I find prey remains, because when he's feeding on a bird, the feathers and everything else fall to the path below. <laughs> And a beautiful picture of the female there against the sandstone. And there she is flying off. So what does this ringing show us? Well, it tells us an awful lot about where these birds are coming from. These red lines show you birds that have been ringed in Lapland. And they've been ringed in Norway and Sweden. And they've come to the UK, including the West Country, to spend the winter here. So this motley crew here, which are in Lapland, then fly all the way south, even as far as North Africa. Believe it or not. And birds that are ringed in southern Finland don't fly quite as far. They fly as far as France, maybe a little bit of Spain, maybe a little bit of Eastern Europe. And this is called leapfrog migration, where those birds which are hatched in the farthest north of Europe actually fly over those further south and carry on even further south. This was a young bird that was picked up on the Somerset Levels not too far from here, probably about uh, 45 minutes away, hour away from here, down here, in November 2009. But it didn't have a British BTO ring on its leg. This blue ring on its leg was, in fact, from Stockholm. It was a Swedish ring, and this bird had been ringed as a chick in June 2009 near a town called Arvika in Sweden. And so between June, when it was fledging, in 2009 and November, it had made its way to winter on the Somerset Levels. And I have my suspicions that in the late 90s, some of these birds that were coming to Bath and were only here between April, sorry, were only here between July and March, April time. I have my suspicions that sometimes they might have been migrant birds and they were disappearing in April time to then go back. Of course, there's no point in them moving perhaps until March, April time because it's still frozen further north, of course. And I have my suspicions that perhaps they were that, if not, perhaps they were just nomadic And when they didn't have a place to nest, they just decided to move around the West Country for a while. We're learning a lot more about peregrines now, as well, by satellite tracking. This is in Poland. We don't have the money for this in this country, but in Poland they can tap into EU funds where they hack ham, and they come up with all sorts of other ideas of where they're going. So this was a young peregrine, for example, uh, satellite transmitted in in Poland, and it's gone all the way down into the Czech Republic, and then it's gone over towards Dresden and into southern uh, parts of Germany. This one here, the green one's done a similar sort of thing but not quite as far, and this one's tended to stay around central Poland. So by looking at some of this data in other parts of Europe, we can also learn a little bit about perhaps what our peregrines are doing, and perhaps what our young peregrines in Bath have been doing. It's probably very similar. They've probably been moving around the West Country, and maybe even going down the M4 corridor a little while. Peregrines don't just nest on our churches though in Germany. They might nest on a, an old crow's nest like here, for example. They might nest on Nest boxes or nest baskets like these, these pylons here. And actually most of Dorset's peregrines actually do nest on pylons. I wouldn't want to be out there though. <laughs> in Germany, in an industrial part of Germany, they nest in these fantastic dog baskets. On and on an, over 90% nest in these dog baskets. And you can find out all sorts of other interesting things as well when they come closer to us. This is a power station in Germany, and there's a pair nesting on this chimney facing that direction, and believe it or not, only about 500 metres away, a pair nesting on this chimney in that direction. Perhaps they're related, I don't know, but quite remarkable that peregrines are nesting that close. Around the Bath region, most peregrines are roughly about two miles apart from each other. A little bit squashed in there, I think. They nest on the ground still in some parts of Europe as well, not so much in Scotland these days, where they used to. The declines kind of saw the end of a lot of the genetic population that did that. And in Germany and Belarus and Poland and the Czech Republic, they're still hanging on to a tree-nesting population of peregrines. We occasionally get peregrines nesting in trees in this country, but not very often. So I've talked a little bit about the ringing, about the movements, and and an introduction there to the bath birds, and what have you. But my original reason for getting into peregrines was, was food, was feathers and skulls and finding out what they're eating. They cache their prey as well. This is a bird here with a pigeon he's about to tuck into the cliffs. So peregrines not only eat their prey fresh, for example when we had that very cold weather and lots of birds might suddenly exit the Bath region, the peregrines need to make sure they've got a stock of food. So they stock up dead birds which they can feed on for another day. And this is the sort of thing I'm often identifying, feathers like this. Any ideas what any of these feathers might be? Woodcock Woodcock is a very good guess. Not woodcock, but it's a very close guess. Anything else? No? Well, woodcock's a really good one. These ones that look a little bit like woodcock here are actually from quail, but very similar pattern feathers. And the ones on the left, they're a little bit like collared dove, but they're actually from turtle dove. So very subtle feathers like this can tell us an awful lot about what the peregrines are feeding on, but also what other birds are doing. I won't stay on this too long, but it just illustrates we find feathers and we find skulls and we find all sorts of things that can tell us about what birds are eating. This was a peregrine with a green woodpecker in Cheltenham. So female peregrines will feed on birds the size of jays. Males will feed on size of birds around about black bird-collar dove size. We think of them as eating Feral pigeons, but actually my work on the bath bird shows that only about half their diet in Bath is pigeons. Yes. <laughs> so they eat a few of those, but they also eat lots of other things as well. So they, like, they do like eating pigeons, but it's only about half the diet, which means they're also eating lots of other interesting things as well. So they're very opportunistic. So in the autumn time when red wings and field fairs are coming into the country in their masses, they, 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 they're very opportunistic and take things like red wings and field fairs and blackbirds for example and greenfinches, which can be very obvious and chaffinches. But what really, really got me fascinated in Peregrines was the fact that in the middle of places like Bath, I was finding things like till, which are very shy ducks, which you don't get in the middle of Bath, you don't feed them, they're not the sort of duck you would be feeding with bread on the river, Avon, that's mainly just mallards. And so I got really fascinated, because I was like, well, what are the peregrines doing then? Are they going out of the city to feed on teal, or are, they, or are these birds flying over Bath? Perhaps they're going down to the countryside, where they can see things like lapwings and golden plovers, for example. And all these sorts of things were turning up in the city, and maintaining my kind of curiosity. They're fast enough to catch up with swifts which actually can fly about 60 miles an hour in level flight, faster than a peregrine quite often, because peregrines, remember, are only fastest when they're doing their stoop dive. Kingfishers appear occasionally. And in London area, to the delight of some people, ringneck parakeets. <laughs> but what really, really fascinated me was what it was telling us about what other birds are doing. Because things like Wimbrell and Dunlin, which are wading birds, we normally associate with the estuaries. Knots, for example, which are very kind of estuary, um, you know, they tend to stick to the the estuaries, were turning up in the peregrine diet. And what it's been showing us, really, is it's been revealing a lot about the movements of these birds. These have been turning up in Coventry and Derby, for example, and revealing that these birds are most likely to be passing through the UK... And the peregrines are sort of finding them. The peregrines aren't going all the way from Derby to the North Norfolk coast, we don't think. We think these birds are moving through Bristol, or through Bath. Black-headed gulls are perhaps less unusual. A lot of these birds are just moving back to Eastern Europe now. But when they are here in the winter, the peregrines take advantage of that glut. And sometimes you might get ringed birds as well. These rings, for example, are from a tern. And a roseate turn, this was one taken in Exeter, and it had been ringed in 2000, sorry, 1997 in Rockerbill near Dublin. And it had been to Africa and back three times and was on its way back up when it got eaten. We've had the seventh Swedish-ringed Arctic turn taken by the peregrines, again building up a bigger picture of what Arctic terns are doing. These guys actually go all the way to Antarctica for the winter, and then they come back through, and this was taken on a day when there was a big flock seen at a reservoir near Derby Cathedral, not far from Derby City. And so we think the peregrines were probably intercepting that flock, again being very opportunistic. But what, I'm, what particularly kind of got me with the prey was what's happened when it starts to go dark. Because there's been birds like little grebes, and woodcock, and snipe, and jack snipe, things like blackneck grebes. There's a black neck green feather here, this white feather here, and this wing of a little green. And quail, and water rail, and even things like corn crakes. And these are some feathers here of a spotted crake. And these have all been turning up in the diet of peregrines. Not just in Bath, but other places, but particularly <coughs> Bath. And this is where I was doing the study. And what all these birds have in common is that they're shy... They're secretive, and they would be very difficult for a peregrine to catch during the daytime. A jack snipe, for example, you almost have to tread on before it takes off. A water rail is hidden in amongst reed beds, and a woodcock is hidden in amongst woodlands. So the only time the peregrine could be catching these guys is when they come out at night. And we do know that these birds are all nocturnal migrants, so they're flying over our countryside at night. Originally to, of course, escape predators. But... With, that, with human beings, we've produced street lamps. And with street lamps, we have light going up into the sky. And if any of you have been in Bath, perhaps after a meal out in the evening or going to the theatre, you'll see how well herring gulls and lesser pepper gulls become lit up when the street lamps. And so what happens is there's spotted crakes and corn crakes and water rails. As they're flying over Bath, the peregrine can see them. And many of them are water birds, so they've got pale bellies. It's very typical that water birds have got pale bellies and dark backs something we call counter-shading. And so peregrines have become adapted, not just in Britain, but across Europe and the world, at hunting at night. And this is the particular work that I've been studying and looking at. And this has now been supported by actual footage from Derby, where they have actually had nighttime cameras filming the peregrines, bringing back live woodcock and live snipe, and most recently, the week before last, a live teal in the middle of the night. So not only have I had the feather evidence it 's now been proven with the actual kind of filmed evidence as well and so this is what we think is happening. This is a, a, a diagram that, 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 that featured with an article I had in BBC Wildlife magazine showing that during the day they 're doing their circling around their stoop diving, but then at night they hide their head in the shadows, watch for a woodcock flying over, and then come out and catch it so they 're very opportunistic birds, but they 're also telling us a lot about what 's going overhead as well and the fact that they're telling us that things like corn crakes and spotted crakes and other things are going over the city is not just telling us about the peregrines but it's telling us a little bit more anecdotally about the sorts of birds that are passing through our region which I think is pretty fascinating. just want to talk about just thinking a little bit about peregrines and threats as well I think it's important to sort of realise I mentioned about DDT earlier and about the effects that it had on them during the 70s and the fact that although DDT is banned across Europe unfortunately it's still used in other parts of the world and believe it or not DDT is still sprayed on fields in parts of Africa and it goes into the atmosphere as droplets and still comes down in the rain in Scandinavia so the threat of DDT is never gone forever and the Scandinavians, particularly the Swedes, are very much monitoring that situation. That slides the wrong way around. Um, but, but peregrines will also eat bats as well. And in Germany, for example, they will, um, they will prey on migrating nocturnal bats. Here's some more of these Scandinavian birds. There's other threats as well. There's a the trapping and shooting. And unfortunately, bird of prey persecution is at an all-time high at the moment. So if any of you are supporters of the RSPB or the British Art of and other, and the Hawke and Owl Trust, and you see these petitions to try and get the government to lobby, to make landowners, for example, responsible for this sort of thing going on, then do support it and try and stop it happening. But there is a more natural threat to peregrines, believe it or not. This is a quarry in Germany. And in this quarry, there's something else living in this quarry that's a threat to peregrine falcons. I have already mentioned it, actually, but it's quite fascinating. And this thing likes to eat big birds, like buzzards. Can you imagine trying to catch and eat a buzzard? These are the feathers of one. It likes to eat owls. Here's some long-eared owl feathers. And this is a baby of it. Any idea what it might be? An eagle owl, yes. A baby eagle owl. Mummy eagle owl. (laughs) And believe it or not, this is one of those conservation conundrums. Because eagle owls are spreading across Europe. They've also seen a decline, but they're increasing now, both from reintroductions and just naturally. And they can also fly some distance. They can fly over mountains, and they can fly 300 miles if they want to. Um, And they're spreading across Europe. But while peregrine numbers are still quite low in other parts of Europe, they're they're pretty high. In England, in Britain, we've got the highest peregrine population in Europe. We've got this conundrum because actually eagle owls um, don't mind the old peregrine to eat. And I remember speaking to someone I know who was in France and he was watching this peregrine in a quarry just flying along low and suddenly out of the blue this eagle owl appeared and tried to swipe at the peregrine just missed it. But even in Scotland where we've got some sort of feral living eagle owls, um, peregrines have also been eaten on the odd occasion. So it's not always that a man-made threat. We have that conservation conundrum where two birds that are recovering from very low populations are suddenly coming into conflict because of the fact that one likes to eat the other. This was a legal owl that we had in Bristol um, just a few years ago. I thought I'd just show him off, he's quite nice. But there are some fantastic things going on with peregrines as well. Not just here in Bath with the Hawken Canal Trust, for example, um, but also... We've got the RSBB, they do cheddar gorgeous wildlife, showing people wildlife. We've got Simmons yak rot, for example. So there's some fantastic opportunities to show people peregrine falcons. And I'm very much in favour of this, because I think if these sites are exposed and people are showing, you've got people there all the time, those birds are going to be much less vulnerable to persecution or having their eggs taken and what have you. In London, they form the London Peregrine Partnership to make sure that people are talking to each other. There was a time when lots of businesses were wanting to be quite green and thinking, yes, let's put a peregrine nest box up, trying to get green credentials. But actually, just putting peregrine boxes up willy-nilly across London isn't really going to help the situation. It needs some coordination. It needs some thought about where these boxes are going to go. And in 1997, I went to Poland and met all these other fantastic people that are studying peregrine falcons across Europe and found all sorts of fascinating information. This is... um, Uh, Norway for example where peregrines used to be all across Norway in the 1900s but in 1975 they were very patchy here's the pink so I think this is Sweden actually and then peregrines started to reappear but in the north and the south and there was a gap in the middle and they were really worried because there was not going to be any gene flow between the two so what they started to do there's a nice Swedish peregrine there was they started to reintroduce them through breeding them in captivity This isn't something we had to do in the UK. It's something they've had to do in Scandinavia. And then releasing them back. And we find out all sorts of fascinating information. So, for example, female X8 up there, she was actually um, hacked back to the wild. That means that she was reared in captivity. And then she was released back into the wild over a period of time. That's what hacking means. In 1995, and she was released in this central part of Sweden. And she then decided to move north and mate with this male here, number three. And then after a couple of years, she got fed up with him, so she moved further north in Sweden, and met up with a wild male peregrine. I should have added that he was actually a hackback wild as well. So she mated with him, and then got fed up with him after a couple of years, and has since been with male 08 since 2004. So it provides us with some great information like this as well. And this is all in Pigeon English, but it's quite funny if you have a little read of the speech bubbles there. But it just shows you—they really, don't know any boundaries—and so peregrines that have bred in this part of Sweden, what you know, are moving across to Denmark and Germany, and the same things really going on there. A bit of breeding, with a bit of inbreeding going on as well. I found out also from that conference about the tree-nesting population of peregrines. Here's an old picture of them. But they're really worried in Germany and Belarus that they're going to lose this tree-nesting population. It may not—it may seem a bit trivial to us, perhaps, but to but to them it's a really important genetic population that only nest in trees. And so they've been hacking peregrines back to the wild in special cages like this where food is left for them, the peregrines can come and go until they learn to feed for themselves properly and and then finally they don't come back. But the idea is to try and get them to associate these woodlands with nesting. And they've even gone as far... As hacking the chicks backfire, goshawks are getting goshawks to actually raise peregrine chicks, so that the peregrines think probably they're goshawk as well, but also that, that they came from a, a tree nest. So therefore, when they breed, they want to actually go back and nest in a tree. Quite a remarkable lens that they're going to. And peregrines are gradually reappearing again in Poland, and this is a, sort of an industrial. Building here with a peregrine on it. So they're much further behind than we are in this country, but nonetheless putting a lot of effort into getting mm. them back. So, a few final shots really of peregrines. This is one in flight in Poland. From all of that stuff we found out in that conference in 2007, they put together this fantastic book um, for those scientists, I guess, and people studying peregrine falcons. And just a great way of showing how people are very joined up and talking to each other and trying to share this information. So, we've learned a lot, really, over the last sort of 45 minutes or so. I started off just sort of introducing the peregrine falcon and talking about them, introducing the bath birds, really, a little bit of sort of history, a little bit of a soap opera with A.A., sort of mating with his mum, talking about the ringing and the value of that ringing, what it's telling us, not only on a local level, for example, with that Avon Gorge bird going down to Blagden and the other bird going up to the Malvern Hills, but on an international level as well, birds coming down from Scandinavia. And then, looking at the food and the fact that peregrine falcons are not just eating pigeons but a whole variety of other birds, and they 've become adapted to hunting at night as well here 's that female again in Holland checking out the photographer, checking out ronalds and one of my favorite shots, the one we saw at the very beginning this was a young Peregrine falcon that I ringed in the Avon gorge, taken by my, my friend Hannah, and for me, it just sums up the privilege the special importance of these birds uh, and also the fact that it's been a success that over the last sort of 30 years or so we've been able to bring back what was a bird almost on the verge of extinction 30-40 years ago. Thank you.